those discomforts that the Lord wants to use. When uh, Isaiah was being sent out, was it Jeremiah? I think it is Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Sorry, my Bible doesn't open as fast as I want it to open, but I'm going to take my time and you are going to be ready. And one cried out and said, holy, holy is the Lord. And the post of the door were shaken. This is verse four, the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woo is me for a man done because I'm a, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew me flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from uh, he has taken with tongues from the altar and he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away Oh, amen, amen. And then he said in verse seven, 8, Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell these people. And there, and there is a lot to say. But I think it was Jeremiah that I wanted to read where he was being sent out as a prophet. And then he complained. He's like, Lord, but I am just a youth. And the Lord told him, do not say I, uh, you're just a youth. Do not be afraid of them. Go out to them and tell them what I am telling you to tell them. So I felt the way Jeremiah felt when I was told that I was coming here to deliver the message today. I felt the same way Moses felt. He's like, Lord, but I stutter. And he's like, yes, but go. I'll give you your helper. Your brother Aaron will go with you. So there is some sort of uh, fear that comes upon you, not just about, it's, it's not about just public speaking, but carrying, being the vessel of the message of God. This is a very delicate, a delicate position to be in. You do not want to come here and present yourself instead of the one who is speaking through you. Amen. With those words, I give thanks to God for giving me the privilege to serve him. It is a privilege. I feel really excited that I am the vessel that is being used today. I am so excited and I feel so highly favored that I can deliver the message of the Most High God. He who raises the sun, he who has woken me up this morning, who has given me the very breath that I breathe, I am so thankful to God. King of glory, as we open up this moment, your people have come here yearning. They have come here yearning for you, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. He who comes to you does not hunger. He who comes to you does not thirst because you are the living water.
Majesty, as you pour me out, empty me and glorify yourself. For Father, Lord Jesus, as you said, I must decrease that he may increase, that your Father in heaven may increase, that he may be glorified. I decrease, Father. I decrease that you may be glorified. Empty me, let there be none of me. Let there be all of you. Holy Spirit of God, I know you're here. Majesty, I know you're here. Have your way. I am confident, not in my own confidence, but because you are with me. In Jesus' name, I have prayed with thanksgiving. Amen. And today we have a, he's already posted it, going the message today. And Benjamin, yeah, he's already posted it. Going back to the first love. And our scripture of the day is Revelations chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 7. So we are going to read that and we'll slowly go through it, slowly, because the Lord is calling us back to the first love. For each one of us who has been in a love relationship, all those who are married, you know there is that first moment, the first emotions that you feel when you've just met that person. You feel everything like, uh, I think, was it Becky or somebody said, when you have love, was it? I don't remember, but she said, when you have love, even if you went hungry, you would not suffer. <laughs> yeah, right? You, when you're in love, the first, first love. You feel you are ever smiling. People wonder, even when you're supposed to be mad, you're ever smiling. Because you're in love, there is a joy. You just keep on mentioning the name of that person that you're in love with. You desire to talk to them. Nowadays, it's through the phone calls. You want to call them every time, every now and then. Back then, it used to be the long letters. You promise them heaven and earth, even if it's not you who created those things. You promise them to, to love them until the rivers run dry. Mr. Alexander and Sister Hope, I don't know whether that's where you are right now or whether you have been there before, but we all experience those first strong emotions, the emotions that draw us closer. And I think God put those in there for a reason. For otherwise, if we did not feel so strongly about each other, probably would never be married. Probably would never have joined uh, God in the procreation process. But he created these feelings so bad. They're so enjoyable. Being in love is enjoyable. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ is talking about. Because our relationship with our Lord is that of a bridegroom and a bride. I'm wanting to use that analogy. Just picture this. Jesus is coming back to us and saying, I don't feel you anymore. I do not feel you. I don't feel that first love. I know you're doing the work. It's like when the marriage has gone a few years and you're busy taking care of business. You're taking care of kids. You're paying bills. You are advancing in your career. Yes, you're not necessarily quarreling. You're not necessarily fighting with each other. But that first love starts, you know, ebbing away. And this is what Jesus is talking about. The same thing that happens in our personal love relationships is what is happening right on to the church in Ephesus. 
And Jesus is saying, I don't feel you. I don't feel that first love. I don't feel those first moments when you took off 20, 30 minutes a day or probably one hour to sit down at my feet and listen to my word. He is not feeling us. Remember what he told Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried about too much. You're doing a lot and he's not necessarily saying that he, whatever you're doing for in, in his name is wrong. No, but he's saying... The most important thing Mary has chosen. She has chosen to sit at my feet. Some of us, that's the first love that we had. When we first accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that's the first love. Our Bible would be opened every day. Right now it's collecting dust. And the Lord is saying, I do not feel you. I do not feel you because you're not opening up the Bible. You do not know what my love letter is saying. You do not know you've forgotten who you are because you are not reading my truth. The truth that sets you free is no longer part of you because you don't take off time to go in there. So let's start off by reading the scripture. Benjamin, if you could have that open. Okay, I'll read from my Bible as Benjamin. Okay. Okay, we have it up here. So, he is saying, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you could read with me, that would be great. I remember pastor a few days a few weeks ago told us when we come here let's participate in that which has brought us here let's not just come in here and be idle and just you know swim along let's participate in that which has brought us here let's be part of it so you're gonna read with me and uh, if I could have my glasses <laughs> sorry I don't want to be squinting all the time Praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Okay, we're going to read to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you. Thank you for reading with me. I just want to give you a little history about the church of Ephesus. It was situated in that city. Like we can say the church of Toronto. The city was called Ephesus. The city was vibrant in trade. It was the wealthiest city at the time. The way you see Toronto, you know the capital city of Canada is Ottawa, right? But you know that Toronto, or Toronto, for some of you, <laughs> is more vibrant, right? When it comes to trade, it comes to financial, financial issues or in those areas, uh, travel, population, the vibrance of the city is greater than that of the capital city. So this, the, the city of Ephesus was the same in the wealthiest in aim. It was a very vibrant city. It was the wealthiest in Asia. It was a free city like could see Toronto. There's so many, we, we are a multiracial city. But we are also a multi-reasoning city. We have our own dispositions of reasoning and thinking and ideologies. And, you know, it's a free city. We all don't think, not everybody goes to church. No, not everybody believes uh, in God, right? Uh, some people believe some things that we don't necessarily in church believe, right? So... The city of Ephesus was like that. It was a free city with free liberal thinking for everyone. It was a city full of pagan worship. For the center or the temple of Diana, Diana the goddess or Artemis, uh, the goddess, I think she was or the goddess of giving birth, was erected in that city. It was a big temple. And when I was reading about the, uh, the history of how that happened or who built the temple nobody knew even the people at the time don't know who built that temple of diana but it was the center of this goddess of uh, diana a very tall statue stood there it the city of ephesus was known of uh, uh, it was known for this goddess and if you went i know there is a time back um a couple of months ago where Musumba stood here and was talking about uh, Alexander, the smith, the, the, yeah, the, the iron worker, right? Uh, in Acts 19, you can see that, you know, there was a lot of this um, confusion or there was a riot against the Christians, against Paul at that time who was trying to plant a seed in this city because of this goddess Diana, because they were traders, they were commercial people who were making money out of this goddess because they used to make anklets for, for fertility, they, they used to make bracelets, they used to make idols, you know, people who were gaining from this pagan god Diana. And 
why am I trying to give you a little history of, uh, of the church of Ephesus? I just want to show you how it was so difficult to, to plant a seed of the good news of the gospel in that place. It was so difficult. If you think it's so difficult in Toronto in the, now, in, in the current times to plant the seed, it was even harder, harder in the city of Ephesus. And yet when we look at the Bible, this is where we see Paul starting the ministry. We see Timothy becoming the first bishop of that church in Ephesus. It became, and what I'm trying to emphasize here, that there is no place. There is no place that the Lord cannot reach. There is no place that the seed of God cannot be planted. Do not rely, rely on your doubtful thoughts and say, mm, these people, there's so many atheists here. There's some things that we are going to preach in church that may be, we may be easily imprisoned because of the ideologies that have been built within this city, right? So we're a little bit afraid to go out and tell the good news of the gospel. But it was harder. It was harder in the city of Ephesus when Paul started his ministry. We see him in Acts 19 causing a row, people are rioting and, and yelling out, uh, Diana, Diana of Ephesus, speaking all in the name. It's like, you, you know, you stand there. We don't want to listen to you because you're speaking nonsense to us. All we know is the goddess whose temple is built in this, in this city. Who are you to tell us anything else? Who are you to teach us about that mighty God that you're talking about? That's the resistance that Paul felt when he planted the church in Ephesus. So going back to our scripture with that little history, let's review on what the Lord is telling us about the first love, about going back to the first love. So in chapter one, he says, to the angel or to the pastor or the minister of Dominion Church. Now, don't listen to it as a group and say, mm, that was probably to the whole church. Take it individually. You are the church. You are an individual. I don't know how many times the pastor has stood here and emphasized that the church is not these four walls. It is you. You, the people. It is you and I who make the church. So as we continue to read, take this message individually. Take it personally take it for you do not say i wish so and so was here today no just thank god and tell him lord i'm thankful that i am here today because this message is for me as we go on to read this uh the word we can see that there is a lot of encouragement there is a lot of rebuke so whatever suits you whatever if this if the shoe fits wear it amen amen so to the angel of the church, the angel was the pastor or the caretaker or the minister of the church of Ephesus. And now he was just a buffer. He was just holding the information from, from Jesus himself to deliver like I'm delivering this morning to you, this afternoon to you. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And the seven stars he's referring to the churches. Jesus is the one who holds the church in his hands. He holds every church in his hands. Wherever people gather, to, he, he holds the church as in the believers all over the world in his hands. And uh, 
this is what he's referring to. I'm trying to explain. The seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. He walks in the daily operations of the church. Wherever we meet as people, wherever there is a group of people meeting in the name of the Lord, there he is. There he is. It is, yeah, so stays in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Continue to verse 2. Benjamin. I know your deeds. Church. Letting them know that he knows their deeds. Jesus knows our deeds as Dominion Church. He knows when we give out rice to the community. He knows when we sit down, when people give up their hours of work. Jacob is here, I don't know how often. Sister Becky is always here, serving, sitting, and waiting for people. We are always calling on to volunteers amongst ourselves to sit here. He knows that hard work that you're doing. And this is where he's starting from. He's acknowledging the good that you're doing in his name. He's acknowledging it. It is not passing him by. He is aware He's aware of your deeds. I know your deeds. Your hard work and your perseverance. You do not know how much your pastor perseveres. You do not know. It's until you sit within the servant leadership, the group of te the team of people that you are aware of how much your pastor and the team that works with him endeavors. The team that works with him sacrifices. So Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. I know your perseverance. I know your perseverance when you do not have a rent, but you don't want to stand up here to burden the people. He is aware of your deeds. <laughs> when um, everybody is sleeping, that, but we have a, a, a servant leadership meeting to sit in, right? Which goes into ours. He is aware when some people come into the church and try to divide it or split it. He is aware of that perseverance. He is aware when the outsiders look on Dominion Church and say all the negative they have to say. He is aware that you remain standing. And that is what he's telling the church in Ephesus. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Like I told you, the church, the city of Ephesus was full of pagan worship. They were fighting against so many ways. They were uh, fighting against the Jews who wanted to take the people back into the law. They were fighting against the, the, the worshippers of Diana. They were, they were fighting against the beggars, people who wanted to manipulate the worshippers by telling them. They were fighting against so many people. The Nicolaitans who took up the gospel but then used it to, to their negative advantage. They had so many um, forces fighting against them. The same thing that we see in the day-to-day -day church right now. But he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tasted those who claim to be apostles, but are not. Musumba here can be my witness that we have tasted a few, a few people like that. I don't know, you're asking me, just a few? I don't know the number, but you know. And Jesus is saying, I have seen that and keep doing it. I have it. That's what we are supposed to do. The good work. The hard work. 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Verse 3. You have persevered and you have endured. Child of God, you have persevered. From the day you gave your life to Jesus, and probably some of us were born in different denominations. We were born and raised, personally I was born and raised as Catholic and the other staunch one. If I gave you my genealogy, you'd say, eh, mchala msumba. That's where you come from. I am telling you, we come from different backgrounds. Whereby you say, I am Molokole, and they disown you. Some of us have such testimonies. But we have persevered. I always talk to Mrs. Bwamechi here, and I, um, by coincidence, I'm facing her because she has told me, she has shared her story with me. She has shared her story of rejection of her family. When she said that, I am born again, they said, we're not paying your school fees anymore. We all have different backgrounds. We have people who have come from Muslim backgrounds. And they say, eh, umana waseka. And they disown you. So he's saying, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. And have not grown weary. And he's saying, this is just a paraphrase. He's saying, thank you for the good work. You are doing great. Keep on doing that. And let us go to verse 4. I really like the way Jesus acknowledges the hard work that we are doing. That we're not doing it in vain. That he who sees and searches our hearts knows what we are up to. That he who has the, 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 the refiner's fire knows how much he has refined us and some of us haven't given up. I am so glad that he acknowledges that. But then he goes on to verse 4 and he says, yet, some Bibles say, but, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And this is where I derive the title of the day. You are doing great wherever you're doing. Those who have worked hard for the name of the Lord. Those who have not given up. When the times have been dry and we are looking for servants, you have been readily available and have not given up. But Jesus is telling us, we have forgotten the first love. Probably some of us, when we met him the first time, like I mentioned earlier, would not go a day without opening our Bibles just to see what's in the word, of the, 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 the word of God. We did not forget that old little song that we sang in Sunday school, read your Bible, pray every day. It was on our lips every day because that was the only way. We knew it for, for, without a shadow of a doubt that only reading the word of God can grow us. Only praying can grow us. But as the years have gone by, when we came to Canada, we have become so busy. We have become so busy. We work shift after shift. There, there is a desire. But desire does not produce results. We never get time to go back into the word of God. Some of us, it is the honor of our pastors. 
when we first got when we first met Jesus when we got born again you should have seen the reverence for the men and the women of God you should have seen the reverence for the men and women of God but nowadays because there is there's so many stories about pastors we have accepted the lie of the evil one that everyone is like that and we have forgotten that as scripture says they are false they are false apostles like the Ephesians fought against and we have taken every pastor every church leader every minister in one bracket and we have dishonored them we have rejected them for some it may not be that you may be reading your bible you may be honoring your pastor but you bear unforgiveness within you to love god is to do his commandments to love Jesus is to obey his commandments. You cannot say you love God. It doesn't matter how good the worship you give when you come to church. It doesn't matter how good the gospel you preach when you stand on the pulpit. It doesn't matter the sacrifice you give. If you do not obey the commandments of God. And what are those I think you're asking? Let us go to Mark chapter 12, starting from verse, um, I think it's, this is just a reminder of what are the commands of God? What are the commandments that he's telling us? Mark 12, sorry, from verse 28 to 31. Okay, one of the teachers of the law came and had them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 29. The most important one answer, uh, answered Jesus is this. Hear all Israel, and today I'm saying, hear all Dominion Church, hear all Pastor Eddie, hear all Sister Bernadette, and place whatever name you have in place of Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. 31. The second is this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. It is very possible that in doing all the, the, the good work that the church of Ephesus was doing, they forgot these two commandments. And this is what Jesus is telling them. You are not loving me the way I said you should love me. First John chapter 5 verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. 
Look at the emphasis on keeping his commandments. For this is the love of God. This is the love of God that we should keep his commandments. In John chapter 14, um, I think it's verse... Um, it skipped my mind. But John chapter 14... I'm going to quickly read from my Bible as soon as I get to it. Verse 21, he says, who has my, He who has my commandments and keeps them. Listen to that. He who has my commandments and keeps, keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I just wanted to give those highlights to, to, to let you know what the love Jesus is talking about. The love that Jesus is talking about is that. To love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and soul. And to love each other. To love your neighbors, you love yourself. I love Mrs. Integer's profile for the past few days. See, I'm your stalker. A little bit. <laughs> she has there first John verse uh, chapter 4, verse 20. Nimbi mchalantege. And that says, Whoever hates his brother does not love God. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Olimba. Brahim. Olimba. <laughs> For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, your sister is starving and you're busy. Mm -mm, I'm rushing to church to pray. Where is the love? The Bible says, <laughs> you know, I love the Bible. It tells us to, to forgive, to be quick to forgive. But the Bible is called a double-edged sword. The same Bible that tells us to forgive is the same Bible that tells us to go and ask for forgiveness. Are there some of us who are not eating humble pie? Anybody knows what humble pie is? It is all about us. It's never our responsibility. We are so proud to go back and say sorry. We are so proud to go back and reconcile ourselves to our brother. Child of God, you have forgotten the first love. The first love when you dated your friend and the little thing that you do to them, you're quick to say, oh, I'm sorry, because you don't want to annoy them. 
but because now you're so used to them they are always there even when you're so wrong it is so hard for you to turn back and do the same thing that you did at first I want to quickly go into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Yes, it says in the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your father, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. But I think that's not the one that I was looking for. I'm gonna quickly go to my Bible and find that that verse. Bear with me. Yeah, it starts off by Jesus telling us about murder. And he tells you murder, it's not just about killing somebody. But every time you're angry with a brother or a sister or a friend without reason, you have actually murdered. But then he goes on and says in verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there. That's verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. But I know most of us have given offering today, right? Have you searched your heart first? Is there anybody that you need to reconcile with? Is there anyone that you need to go and kneel down and say, I am sorry. I am sorry I wronged you. I knew it was my fault. I've come back to you to say I am sorry that our gifts may be acceptable to the Lord. Child of God, every time you remain stubborn and you don't want to go back on your knees to reconcile your brother, you are drawing away from the first love. You're not loving your neighbor the way Christ has told you to love your neighbor. For some of us, it's loving your enemies. That's another command that the Lord has given us. He tells us to love them back. It's like piling coals on their head when we love them back. Doing for them what they don't expect. Last Sunday, Pastor Jason was standing here and he was telling us, when we read of 2 Kings chapter 6, I prayed to God to blind these people. 19, after Elisha has, had, uh, had prayed to God to blind these people, they were led into the enemy territory in the town of Samaria. And the king of Israel, I think the king of Judah, one of the two, said, what should I do with them now? 
I have my enemy in my hand right now. What should I do with them? Child of God, if God delivered your enemy in your hand right now, what would you do with them? Remember what Elisha said. Give them food. Feed them. This is the same thing that Jesus is telling us. Love your enemies and pray for them. Treat them not as they deserve, but as God has commanded them, has commanded you to do. Because it's the same love that he has given unto us. Before we knew him, before we wanted anything to do with him, when we were going our wrong direction, he reached out. He reached out and turned us back to him. He gave his one and only son. He died on our behalf. How many of us, if the Lord asked for our son or daughter, would be willing to give them up if it was the Lord? Because the Lord does not ask for a sacrifice to mock us. He does not ask for a sacrifice to cause us sorrow. No, he does it for a purpose because he is God. But how many of us, if we ask Antipas, if God said today, give me Cristiano. I remember after, <laughs> after, um, after we, we, we listened to the sermon of faith in action, where Abraham offered his son Isaac, just in obedience, sheer obedience to his God. After that sermon, I asked a friend of mine, I won't mention a name, and I asked him, if God asked for your son right now, would you give him? And I remember the friend saying, huh? <laughs> you know, he was willing. I know it was funny. We joke a lot and, you know, we laughed about it. But that's how crucial it is. He gave his one and only son that you and I may gain heirship. That we may have an inheritance. When his son cried out to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think God was smiling? His heart was broken. If my son just broke a finger like this, I'd pray to God at least to transfer that pain to me. But his son went through all that. And I think sometimes we get mistaken that it is the beatings and the stripping and the crown of thorns and the piercing in the shone from his father in that moment. But the biggest thing that hurt Jesus was the separation from his father in that moment. In that moment. He could bear it all. He could take the beatings. He could take the crown. He could bear it all. But that moment of separation is the reason he sweated in the garden of Gethsemane. Is the reason he says in John 12, my heart is grieved. It is grieved. Because in a few hours I'm going to be separated from my father. It is the separation that he bore. Look at that pain. He offered it all for you. So it is not just that he's asking for what he hasn't given. This morning we, we sang, Auntie Jackie was singing, Gang kwa gala yesu, wasoka kwa gala 
That's first John chapter 14, verse 19. Wasoka kwa galanze. He had he loved us first. He has poured out his love. And now he's asking us, he's telling us, You're not giving me back the love that I have poured into your hearts. Child of God, let us go back to the first love. Let us go back to the first love. I'm sorry, it's one o'clock, but I'm going to uh, run through the, the scripture as we go ahead. Because I'm sure some of, uh, some of us are asking, okay, how am I going to go back to the first love? Benjamin, let's go to verse 5. Yes, for all of us who have been asking, how do I get back to the first love? Jesus is telling us, consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. So the first step is to repent. No, first of all, consider. And uh, I know this, this, this particular version says, consider how far you have fallen. But he's telling us, remember. Remember. Remember where you have come from. Remember the acts of love that you used to do at first. If we are going to change direction, we need to remember first. Christ is speaking to you and me. He's not talking about he's not talking to the group of people out there who do not know him he is talking to a group of people who know him who love him in a way but have forgotten how they loved him at first he is talking to you who have received him you who are born again he is talking to you and me he's telling us remember that's why he's telling us to remember because there was a time when that happened there was a time when you loved him in the way he wants you to love him. The second, the second step would be he's telling us to repent. Repent and before, but we, before we go to doing, repent. And this is another word that confuses most of us. For, we, for what we have only partially, we only understand it as feeling sorry for what we have done. But no man has truly repented before. No one has truly repented when he does the same thing again. You have not truly repented if there is no change in action. So he's calling us to repent. First of all, cry out for forgiveness. Take responsibility for what you're doing or what you have done or what you have forgotten. First of all, remember, like the prodigal son, at one point in his life, he remembered. He remembered the goodness he had in his father's house. He said when the tense was too hard that even my father's servants, when they eat, they have spare food left. He remembered the good time because he had a good time before. Remember that time when you slept at peace because you knew the Lord had you. 
Remember that time when you didn't have to worry because it says do not worry about anything. Is life not more precious than bread? Is life not more precious than, than, than clothing? Remember that time when you cast all your burdens unto the Lord. Remember that time when you sat at his feet and you said, Lord, I'm not going away unless you bless me. When you cried out like Jacob and said, Lord, I'm not leaving you unless you change my name. He is telling you to remember. Remember. Go back to the first love and remember how you used to intercede. It's not enough just to walk in church. Many of us come in as multitudes, but only he who touches the clock of Jesus was healed. Remember the time when you said, this time that I've come to church is for me and my God. I am going to touch that clock. Remember that time and go back to it. Remember and repent. Repent, take responsibility. Tell God, I am so sorry. I know I have diverted. I have walked away from you. I have not prayed as I used to do. I have not forgiven. I have not asked for forgiveness. There is a long list I could only mention a few. But remember, it is to each one of us this message. Remember that time and take ownership. Tell the Lord it is my fault and I'm crying out for your forgiveness. The third step he tells us to do. Remember, first of all. Second, repent. Take ownership and change direction. In Luke 15, 18, the prodigal son said, I will rise up. He took action. I will, it is my fault, and go to my father and ask for an apology and apologize that it is my fault because he knew it was his fault. Take action. Feel sorry, but above all, change action. If you are going left, go right. Most of us say it's the 360 degree turn. I call it the 180 because it's a straight line. You can only walk either direction. 360 may bring you back to where you started from. 180, you turn either this way or turn that way. Amen? Make that 180 turn. Arise like the prodigal son. Go back to your father. Call unto him. Ask for his forgiveness. And do. Do. Don't just point upon it. Don't just meditate about it. Do. For Jesus says, it is those who do the will of my father that shall enter the kingdom of God. Not those who listen to the word of God. Not those who hear the word of God. But those who listen, those who hear, and they do the word of God. Amen? So he is telling us, do. Do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, he says, I will come to you. And remove your lampstand from its place. And some of you are asking, what is a lampstand? He's telling us, I'll take my presence out of your fellowship. I'll take my presence out of your prayers. I will take my presence out of whatever. Jesus has taken himself out of your life. Out of your lokole. 
where you're praying to rebuke or convict somebody, it will be your own morality. It won't be Jesus' morality that comes from a place of love. In other words, your life, your spiritual life is going to be without Jesus. And the Bible tells us God is love. Without God, we do not have love. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are or how moral you are if it is without Jesus. It is without love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about what true love is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I placed my bookmark somewhere, but it's so hard to get to them when you want to emphasize a point. When Jesus takes his lampstand from our presence, our love shall be empty. Our actions, our good actions are going to be empty. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a resounding brass or clanging symbol. That's what happens when Jesus takes his presence from our spiritual walk. And although you'll keep on speaking in those tongues, but without Jesus, you'll be like a resounding gog. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith, <laughs> now listen to this. And even if you have faith to move mountains without Jesus, listen to what he says. And I, and I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing without Jesus. If Jesus comes and removes his lampstand, this is how our spiritual journey is going to be. We shall continue to do the good works like non-believers still do. Because non-believers still do those beautiful things. They still give to the poor. They do acts of charity. But without Jesus, it is nothing. He says even if you have faith that moves mountains. In one verse he says, it is impossible to please God without faith. As in faith is that important to God. But again here he says, even if you had that faith, but you don't have love. You're nothing. Kaput. Potea. And he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Child of God, Jesus is giving us a forewarning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove my presence from your gatherings. I remove your presence from your personal spiritual walk. I remove my presence from you. And finally, um, let's go quickly to verse 6 and 7. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans which I also hate, as in, you're not necessarily doing evil. You hate evil as God hates evil. You hate, you reject evil. So you have that in your favor. 
and verse 7 as we conclude he says whoever has ears does anybody have ears are they working <laughs> amen to that whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches to the one who is victorious i will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of god we have been promised he who perseveres to the end do not just go back to that first love for a period of time walk walk the talk all the way until death do you part when i was beginning this i told you a relationship to jesus christ is that of a bride and a bridegroom and when they are being um when they come before the, the before god a married couple like alex and uh, hope are going to do the vows that we exchange are for us until death does us part same thing same thing here he who perseveres to the end shall receive the crown of glory i thank god for this message king of glory we praise you we magnify you we thank you for your word that comes timely father we desire your children are desiring to go back to the first love lord jesus detach us from all those things that have made us forget you lord give us true repentance a repentance that puts in action what we feel the agony of our sin lord that which puts it into action lord that we may walk back to the first love oh lord give us all of you give us all of you you have let us know lord jesus what you love the best let us not be like those who do not hear lord those who have ears but do not hear lord those who see but they do not perceive oh lord do not take away our lampstand we have heard your call we have heard your warning lord jesus we desire to walk we need you we need you because we cannot do it on our own we need you because if we go in our strength father the enemy will devour us oh lord we need you to surround us with your holy fire of protection oh king of glory we need you lord it is you who holds us in your hands and we do not stumble king of glory it is you who holds the seven stars in your hands majesty hold us in your hand oh king of glory here we come back again we come back again to the first love oh lord deliver us from where we have been bring us back to you father bring us back to you that we may worship you forgive us for the times we have prayed for our lustful desires oh lord we are coming after your own heart oh majesty after your own heart king of glory because you have loved us first oh lord because you have loved us oh lord in Jesus' name we have prayed with thanksgiving amen amen Thank you.